Good morning and welcome to our recorded worship service. I am Nathan Boyette, pastor of Outreach and Mission, and I'm so happy that you are joining us this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, which is in the Old Testament. Uh, We are starting a new sermon series on Christ in the Old Testament prophets. We're starting with the book of Ruth, which isn't technically a prophet, but is a beautiful book in the Old Testament that shows us so much that we need to learn. Later on, after we finish Ruth, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in the book of Jonah, and then we're going to spend the rest of the summer, July and August, in a number of different minor prophets that will encourage us about the wonderful hope of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that God taught to the Old Testament people of Israel. As you turn to the book of Ruth, we're going to start in Ruth chapter 1 today. As you turn to the book of Ruth, I'd just like to share a little bit of the background and context for the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a beautiful work of literature, four short chapters, but packed with so much content and meaning. The book of Ruth has two huge themes in it that we're gonna see in the coming weeks. The first is the sovereignty of God in ordinary life. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz live in typical times and they're normal people who just are going about their life. But God is sovereignly in control caring for his people throughout it all. The second big theme is the fulfillment of Torah righteousness. The Torah was God's law for his people, and the supreme fulfillment of the law is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the book of Ruth beautifully demonstrates what that looks like on the personal level and the communal level, so for individuals and for the entire people of God. So we're gonna unpack these two themes over the coming weeks in the book of Ruth, the fulfillment of Torah righteousness and the sovereignty of God in ordinary life. The book of Ruth takes place in the time of Judges, which was a period of Israelite history after they entered the promised land and before Saul and David established the monarchy, the kingdom. The time of the Judges was kind of a lawless Wild West period where the refrain that comes again and again in the book of Judges is that in those days, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so with that came a spiral of sinfulness where the people of Israel forsook God's ways and did whatever they wanted, and that led them to sin and idolatry. And as a result, the people of Israel were again and again oppressed by foreign invaders. The book of Ruth is also closely connected to the country of Moab, Moab was a neighboring country, and the Moabites were rivals and sometimes enemies of Israel. Moab was one of the countries that oppressed Israel during the period of the judges. And Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons go to Moab during this time. And Ruth, a principal character of this book, is a Moabite. The book is set in the context of a period of famine. Famine in the ancient world was incredibly serious People did not have the security that we have where they could go to the supermarket and get groceries whenever they wanted. They relied on their farms and a good, bountiful harvest. Famine resulted when drought or war or other things impacted the agriculture. And famine had visited the people of Israel. Elimelech's goal when he took his family to Moab was to live there temporarily, to survive the famine, and then return to the people of Israel. Let's dig into the book of Ruth with chapter one, picking up in verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, 
And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, But Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Please speak to, uh, through, uh, through it to us this morning. Help us to understand, be comforted, encouraged, and challenged. Use your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a broken world. Sin has crushed and broken God's good, perfect creation. This can make us feel bitter and brokenhearted, feeling like we are empty. We encountered the brokenness of this world through death, through tragic loss, and all we can do is feel bitter and hurt. In our passage today, we encounter three broken, bereaved widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. They all three lost their husbands. Naomi lost her husband and her two sons. 
In the ancient world, in Moab and Israel and the surrounding countries, women without husbands or fathers or sons had very few options for providing for themselves. It was an insecure world. All three of these women were in a desperate situation. And so the question that confronted them and the question that confronts us as we read this passage is, where do we go when the bitterness of this broken world causes us to be brokenhearted? Again, where do we go when the bitterness of this broken world causes us to be brokenhearted? And just as there are three widows, there are three different ways of going about finding comfort in this broken world. We're gonna first look at Naomi's bitterness, then Orpah's reasoned option, and then finally Ruth's kindness. So first, Naomi's bitterness. If you follow along with me in the Bible, I'll refer to different verses as we go along. In verses three to five, we read of Naomi's tragic, heart-rending loss of her husband and two sons. Again, it's important to note that Naomi was in a foreign land. Her two daughters-in-law were Moabites, people who were traditionally the enemies of Israel and Naomi's people. Naomi is widowed without a husband or sons in a foreign land. She's alone. She has no buddy to provide and care for her. Again, I mentioned how difficult it is in the ancient world for a widow, a woman alone, to provide security, to provide livelihood for herself. In verse 6 to 7, we see Naomi arise from Moab to return to the land of Israel because she hears that the Lord has visited his people and provided relief from the famine. And as she goes back in verse 8 to 14, we see that she has a dialogue and interaction with her two daughters-in-law. She urges them to return to their families. They protest, not wanting to return to, uh, to their families, but wanting to go with Naomi to her people but she urges them more to return because she has no more sons to give them as husbands and no way to provide for them. We see again the helplessness of a widowed woman in this ancient society. Naomi expressed that she feels exceedingly bitter on behalf of Orpah and Ruth for how the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. We see Orpah and Ruth crying out and weeping with Naomi after her bitter words. Orpah decides to leave and go back to Moab, but Ruth clings to Naomi. They travel on back to Bethlehem, to Israel. In verses 19 and 20, we see that after Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, the whole town is stirred up because of them. People react with shock and surprise. They say, is this Naomi? Her time away has left its imprint upon her. She went away full, robust, alive, with a husband and two sons, a secure future, but now she has come back empty, broken, embittered. Naomi even asks that they no longer call her Naomi, but rather call her Mara. Hebrew names often contain significant meaning in them. Naomi most likely meant something like the kindness of Yahweh, the kindness of the Lord, but Mara means to be bitter. Naomi even wants people to call her bitter. In verse 20 to 21, speaking of her bitter situation and her name change, Naomi says, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi's not speaking about food here. She did not go away full of food. She went away during a time of famine. She's speaking about her husband, her sons, her secure future. She's returned emptied, no husbands, no sons, destitute, 
no money, no land, a widow in a time when widows were hard-pressed to provide for themselves. The phrasing of verse 20 to 21 is intentionally ambiguous. It leaves the reader with the question, is it the Lord, is it the Lord that caused her emptiness? Or is it the Lord who is bringing her back because of her emptiness? The end of verse 21 clarifies Naomi's view, at least. She says that the bitter brokenness of her life is because of the Lord. She says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi says that the suffering she is enduring is because of the Lord. Is she wrong to do so? She says that the Lord has testified against her. Some see her and Elimelech, her husband's flight from Israel to Moab, as a lack of faith and sinful. However, the narrator and author don't ascribe any sin to Naomi or Elimelech. They don't say that they did, the author does not say that she did any wrong. Robert Hubbard, a scholar writing on this passage on the book of Ruth, says that Naomi's words point to the mysterious and often, from a human perspective, unjust workings of God. One must realize that her outburst, in fact, assumes a positive view of God, namely that he controls the universe, normally with justice. Her case is an exception, though not a rare one, but such is the mystery of God. We live in a world with two tensions. We believe in a sovereign God who is in control, but we live in a broken, sinful world. How do we reconcile those two tensions? It's difficult in the midst of tragedy and bitterness to reconcile that mystery. Naomi is on the tail end of tragedy, a famine which forces her family to flee their home, the death of her husband and two sons. She is filled with bitterness, brokenhearted, feeling empty. She is brutally and openly honest with her struggles. She doesn't hide it from her neighbors. She doesn't hide it from the Lord. We live in a broken world. Sin has wrecked God's good creation. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. We sit in the midst of personal tragedy, and we too often cannot understand why things are happening the way they are. When Naomi first confronts this bitter brokenheartedness, she's not ready for comfort. She is in the midst of this bitterness. My wife and I were missionaries to China. We have so many good memories of our time there, but we also have bitter heartache from our time there. While we were missionaries in China, we experienced two miscarriages. When Hansun, my wife, was pregnant with our first child, we were so excited to be parents. We were living in China and we got a baby book uh, where we read about how the baby was growing in her womb. They would explain how the baby was first a ping prick that you could barely see and then it grew to the size of a pea and then as it grew, they told you how the facial features, the organs, everything was developing. We were in amazement at what was going on, God's creation of life. Additionally, many Koreans have this great practice of giving their babies names in the womb, a womb name that you call the baby before you know the gender and before the baby is born. We named our first child Sonmul, which means gift in Korean. In the midst of our pregnancy, my wife's pregnancy, she suddenly experienced heavy bleeding. We rushed to the hospital at that time, an hour's trip away by taxi where we, from where we lived in China. When we got to the hospital, the doctor simply told us that she had already had a miscarriage. The baby was gone. We were overcome with grief, and I still remember sitting in that hospital room just crying with my wife. 
The doctor who was standing there, uncomfortable and even indifferent, said a couple of words and just left the room as quickly as she could. We had so much pain and bitterness at that time. We were in a foreign country, far removed from our family and so many of our friends. I struggled at that time with thoughts in my heart, God, I am here trying to serve you. Why would you let this happen to me? Later, Hansun became pregnant again with our son, Noah, and that pregnancy was incredibly difficult. She, from very early in the pregnancy, had bleeding from a a very early time, contractions that were present for almost half the pregnancy. We were so excited that she was pregnant again, but we were numb and terrified that something was going to happen again. Finally, as the delivery date approached, my wife had to give birth by emergency C-section. But thankfully, Noah and she are safe and healthy. After Noah, after time passed, we were pregnant again, this time with sarang, which means love. And this pregnancy also ended in miscarriage, a tragic, bitter experience. This experience of miscarriage is just one example of the bitterness that so many of us encounter living in this broken world. Heartache and tragedy is something that we will all encounter when we live here, this side of Christ's second return. As Christians, we too often minimize the brokenness that we experience. A loved one dies, someone grievously sins against you, abusing you or doing something horrific. You lose a child through miscarriage or something else, and somebody just gives you an empty platitude of, it's all gonna be okay. God is good, remember that. That's not what people need to hear. For some reason, we think it's wrong, even sinful, to cry out to God in our tragedy, to express, as Naomi does, our brutal, honest feelings of brokenness, bitterness. We need to wrestle with why horrible things are happening to us and those around us. It's not wrong to wrestle through that. The Bible presents a different picture. The Bible, the book of Psalms, Israel's songs of worship, are filled with 42 laments. God's people gathered together in worship, saying their grief and their sadness. A lament is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. Psalm 13, one of those laments, listen to me as I read this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. A lament typically moves from an expression of grief and sorrow to a declaration of trust in the Lord. I want to encourage you, if any of you are experiencing or have experienced bitterness and broken experiences, to cry out to the Lord and lament. Don't bottle it up. Don't use empty platitudes to try to get through it. Cry out to the Lord in the grief and the brokenness. Let him know what is going on and then turn to trust in the Lord. If you're not suffering bitterness and brokenness, think of how you can interact with those who are. 
Do not be quick to provide an answer. Do not be quick to make excuses for God. Too often we are uncomfortable and feeling awkward when people express this bitterness and brokenness. So we want to make excuses and move on as quickly as we can. Instead, be quick to affirm the hurt people experience. Be quick to lament together in prayer. We are called to be a people who love our neighbors as ourselves. This requires us to see other people's situations as they see it. We need to look at those around us with compassion and empathy. We may not be an illegal immigrant, but we can try to understand the fear and desperation that would cause someone to move across the world to an entirely new country. We may not have been abused, but we can understand the heartache that comes from abuse from a close loved family member. We may not be black, but we can understand the generations of degradation and oppression that our black brothers and sisters have experienced. We may not have personally committed injustice or wrong against anyone, but we can grieve alongside others and listen as they express their hurt. So Naomi was bitter, broken. Another widow, Orpah, had a different approach to her bitterness and brokenness. She had a reasoned option, a reasoned practical solution. We saw in the last point how Naomi's two daughters-in-law begin the return journey with her, and Naomi urges them to return to Moab. They cry out in grief together, and as Naomi urges them to go home, she reminds them of a couple of realities. If you look in verse 11, she reminds them she cannot provide a husband for them. Ruth and Orpah are still young, still able to get married and have families and provide security for their old age. In verse 8, Naomi urges them, go, return each of you to your mother's house. This is odd for a couple reasons. Moab and Israel were both patriarchal countries, which means that Naomi should have been urging them to return to the father's house. In fact, Old Testament law and ancient Near Eastern laws said that a widow was to return to her father's house. So why does Naomi say mother's house? This word actually only occurs three times in the entire Old Testament. Mother's house was most likely a way to refer to the practice of mothers arranging marriage for their daughters and their sons. And this is confirmed in verse 9 when we see Naomi say, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Naomi's two statements combine to urge her daughters-in-law to seek new marriages, to find a solution to their destitution and brokenness by getting married, which will provide security. Verse 14, we see that Orpah listens to her mother-in-law's, mother-in-law's advice. She kisses Naomi goodbye, and she exits the, uh, exits the book of Ruth and exits the people of God. By most standards, Orpah's option was realistic, reasoned, logical. Widows in the ancient world did not have a lot of options. Orpah takes the reasoned, practical approach. She's not selfish in this regard. With the death of her husband, her cultural obligations to Naomi were gone. In fact, Naomi herself severs those obligations in verse 8 when she says to Orpah and Ruth, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi praises Ruth and Orpah for their kindness to her, and her husband, after her husband and son's deaths. 
She then releases them by asking the Lord God of Israel to bless them as they go their way. Orpah took the reason logical approach to her problem, but God does not always call us to logical, realistic approaches. He actually calls us to the illogical often, especially when it comes to our salvation and to the life he calls us to live. Jesus' parables in Matthew 13 capture this idea. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of God, a restored relationship with our creator, a restored relationship away from our sin and our rebellion is of infinite value. More than anything in this world, as we enter that kingdom, as we are restored to that right relationship with God, sometimes we will do what seems illogical by human standards. Orpah had chosen the more practical, reasonable option of finding a secure life in Moab with a new husband. She had chosen that practical option over the risky venture of following Naomi, a destitute widow, to a foreign land of Israel. This was logical, reasoned, realistic, but as followers of the living God, we are not always called to the logical. In fact, we are called to the illogical, illogical by human standards. When he saves us, God the Father calls us out of sin and into a life of sacrificial love of neighbor that takes us out of our comfort zone. In 1 Corinthians 15, writing about the resurrection of the dead, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, then we are to be most pitied of all people. Why does he say this? He says that by human standards, Christians are to live such a radically different life that if what we believe is not true, we should be pitied. So we see that Orpah chose the reasonable, op- reasonable option, but Ruth, Ruth chose to be motivated by God's kindness, to live in kindness towards her mother-in-law, Naomi. In verse 14, Orpah left, but Ruth clung to Naomi. What caused Ruth to remain? What caused her to not take the reasoned, realistic option? In verse 15, that's exactly what Naomi encourages her. She says, see, your sister-in-law has returned, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. In verse 16 to 17, Ruth replies, she says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. We see that Ruth had laid claim to the Lord. This is a beautiful declaration. Ruth lifts off in beautiful detail her intention to remain with Naomi. Chief among them is that Naomi's people are now her people. Naomi's God is now her God. In the ancient Near East, your people and your God were a defining characteristic of who you are. We may question how much Ruth knew or understood about the God of the Bible, but what is clear is that she had turned to the Lord in faith. She had made Israel her people and Yahweh her God. And her subsequent actions, which we will explore in the next couple of weeks, in Ruth chapters two to four, show that she lived that faith out in loving kindness towards her mother-in-law.
Ruth turns her back on all that is secure and familiar, her Moabite people, her god Chemosh, her father and mother's house. She turns her back on all of that and places her faith securely in the Lord of Israel, following him and following Naomi into the uncertain future as they return to Bethlehem. Ruth had reoriented herself to the Lord God in his way. He was the source of her comfort now, and she would in turn comfort Naomi. In verse 8, Naomi acknowledges that Ruth had dealt kindly with her and her dead son. This word kind is a key word to the book of Ruth. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which means loving kindness. This is God's characteristic of faithful love manifested in a desire for relationship with his people. God's loving kindness is what drives him to be gracious and merciful to his creation and his people. It's what causes him to live in a relationship with us, sinful and rebellious people. In verse 16 to 17, we see Ruth continue to live out that loving kindness towards Naomi, fully committing herself to following her mother-in-law, living in relationship with her, no longer as a daughter-in-law, but as a daughter. In verse 22, we see that Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, and we see the hidden sovereign hand of God as he is kind to them in the providential nature of their arrival. We read, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Naomi and Ruth's arrival at the beginning of the barley harvest is providential. God has brought them back when they can have more than enough food to eat. Food was plentiful during the time of harvest, and Israel, unique among all the surrounding nations, had specific laws where people were encouraged to provide for the poor, to allow them to gather food from the field along the normal farm laborers. When Ruth is confronted with bitter, brokenheartedness, she turns to the Lord, which then causes her to turn to Naomi in loving kindness. Esther An Kim is a famous Korean Christian. She lived in Japanese-occupied Korea. The Japanese occupation of Korea was, was vicious and brutal. They tried to erase the Korean language. They forced Koreans to adopt Japanese names. They set up Japanese shrines all over the country, and the Japanese army would force whole Korean villages to worship the Japanese idols at these shrines and worship the Japanese emperor. Esther was imprisoned by the Japanese for six years because she refused to worship at these Japanese shrines. She was put in prison in Pyongyang, uh, Korea. And while in prison, she faithfully lived as Christ's witness to her fellow prisoners and prison guards. One of those fellow prisoners was a woman who was certifiably insane, crazy, this woman had murdered her husband and then been imprisoned in the same prison as Esther Kim. This woman was filthy, covered in dirt and her own excrement. She would tear her clothes. She would shout curses at the prisoners and guards and even try to attack them. All the other prisoners and guards stayed as far as possible away from this woman. But Esther was different. She relentlessly prayed for this woman. She sacrificed her own comforts for this crazy and crazed woman prisoner. She gave from her meager daily ration of food, some of her food to this woman so she had enough to eat. She would hug this woman during the freezing nights to keep her warm, and she would use some of her water to help clean the woman. 
She wanted to reach this woman's heart. She wanted to comfort this woman in her bitter brokenness. And the woman received that comfort. The woman began to slowly return to normal. And the woman accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. The woman still died. She was still executed for her crimes. But the woman died in her right mind, no longer insane, knowing Jesus Christ and having a hope in her salvation. In the midst of tragedy and bitterness, Esther Kim was able to find true comfort in the Lord of heaven and earth. And in turn, she was able to provide comfort to others. Our one true comfort in this broken world is our loving, kind, gracious Heavenly Father. In the book of Ruth, we see Ruth know that comfort from the Lord and in turn comfort Naomi. We ourselves are to know God's comfort and in turn turn to others and provide comfort to them. We were created for community. We were created for relationship with other people. And as Christians, we desperately need that community. We need to hear each other's stories of God's faithfulness and provision. We need to hear of how God has comforted us in the midst of brokenness. We need to encourage one another with the simple stories of how he has provided for us and cared for us. God has created each one of us that are part of the EP Church family, unique, different. He has created us in the image of God and we are called to be in relationship with each other, to encourage one another. And because of our differences, we can help one another see more about God's revelation in his word and through our stories. This time of the COVID virus is so difficult because it separates us from the body of Christ. We need to be more united now than ever. We need to be reaching out to one another more now than ever. So I encourage, I challenge each one of you to reach out to someone this week. I want you to think right now, who am I going to reach out? And I don't want, I encourage you not to reach out to somebody that you always call. Think of who can I reach out to that I normally don't talk to? Who can I call up and say, how are you doing? What is God teaching you during this time? How can I comfort and encourage you? Each one of us needs to think who we are reaching out to, to build community with. God saves us to be a part of his family, but he saves us to be part of his mission. Part of our mission is to make disciples of all people, and in order to do this, we need to bear forth God's character. Our God is a loving, kind, caring father. We see that in the Old Testament as his character is called loving kindness. How do we begin to grow to resemble God? When I was single, uh, I didn't eat mushrooms. In fact, I hated them. Uh, My wife loves mushrooms, though. And so after we got married, she would make food with mushrooms in them. I did not like it, but because I loved her, I ate mushrooms. And she, my wife, because she loved me, would cut up the mushrooms really small and then hide them in all of our food so that I wouldn't know I was eating mushrooms. And as time went by, I slowly grew to like mushrooms. And now I enjoy eating them, and actually I look forward to eating them. As we live with others, we are impacted with them, by them, changed by them. When we love someone, we live with them and want to understand them and appreciate the things they love. And so when we love God and live in relationship with him, we will grow to be like him. We will love the things he loves and desire what he desires. And so I encourage each one of us, let us press into our relationship with God. Let us pursue him in prayer, study of his word, and fellowship with other Christians. 
We need to spend time with him in order to grow in the character he has. So let us pray every day, spend time in his word, and ask that the Holy Spirit fill us and transform us so that we can seek his will, become like him, and live the way he desires us to live. This book of Ruth should point us to the ultimate place we find comfort. In Ruth, we see three widowed women experiencing the bitter brokenheartedness of this world, an experience all too common to us in this world broken by sin. And when heartache and tragedy impact us, we should voice that struggle to the Lord in prayer. And as we pray, we should not merely sit in our bitterness, but we should turn to trust in the Lord. We should trust in his loving kindness. And this loving kindness is ultimately demonstrated in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can take comfort and hope in our Lord because he has not left the brokenness of this world alone. He came into this world. He entered into this world and took the brokenness, the sin, the evil upon himself on the cross. He provided the solution to sin by his death and resurrection. And as a result, God is present with us right now, each individually in the midst of trials, difficulties, and tragedy. Jesus said to his disciples and to us right before he ascended into heaven that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you are our God a God of loving kindness, a God of comfort, a God that sees the brokenheartedness, the bitterness that we experience, and you grieve as well. You you grieve the brokenness of your creation. We thank you that you understand. We pray, Lord God, that you might help us to take comfort in you right now. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided a solution in Jesus Christ, taking the brokenness of this world upon yourself so that we might be restored to a right relationship with you. We thank you so much, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.